If you've ever been in a situation where you've been playing with a kid or you've been doing something you thought was fun and then like a mom or dad ran in and were like, no, stop. Like you're like, what? I had them. It's fine. Like you ever been in a situation where you've been playing with them or kind of roughhousing or you're throwing their infant up in the air and they're like, stop. And you're like, what? I'm I've been in situations before where I'm doing stuff and like they're like, stop, you can't do that anymore. And I'm, and I'm like offended. I'm like, you don't think I take care of your kid? It, it's kind of funny. Like I remember my wife had a situation where uh, we weren't dating yet, but she wanted my family to like her. So she allowed my cousins to drive her car who were like six, seven, and eight years old. And my uncle, <laughs> she wanted to be the cool aunt before we were dating. Um, and so, and my uncle was like, hey, you can't do that. You can't let that age drive a car. And I remember one time we were at the zoo and I uh, had one of my, um, my uncle's kids on my back and we were at the bear exhibit. And I'm just like playing around like, hey, you wanna get scared? And I put him over the side of the bear exhibit and I bring him back. And I'm like, I'm like, what's the big deal? Like I had him. Like, I had him. My uncle's like, hey, don't do that. And I'm like, I got him. He's like, you'll understand when you have kids. And I'm like, whatever. And then I remember this past, uh, this past vacation, we were out and we were at New Smyrna Beach. We are out at the sandbar. And we're sitting there, and I've got my son, and I've got my, my, kid, my sister's little girl, and my dad, and my uncle are there. And we're playing, and like the kids are out in front of us, and all of a sudden my uncle's like, hey, uh, grab the kids. And we grab the kids, and we look, there's two black tips go by, sharks. And, uh, and so my wife just heard this for the first time. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, and so they go by and then what's funny is my dad's like, all right, let the kids play again. I'm like, no. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, no, he's like, what, what's the worst they'll do? I'm like, oh, like a leg, you know, but. I want them to have all of their legs. And then I remember I grabbed my son and like I just kind of swam with him back to shore. And then uh, that was the point that I realized what my uncle was saying. And I remember I, I told Uncle Larry, I was like, hey, I get it now why you didn't want me to put your son over the bear enclosure. <laughs> because when it's your kid, you just care more. It sounds weird now. But some of you understand what I'm talking about. When it's your kid, there's just something different. There's a, when it's your child, like, there's, a, there's a care that goes much higher. And so today what we're doing is we're, we're continuing in, in Galatians, and we've been talking about how you know, Paul's talking to the church in Galatians, and the problem that happened is Paul started a church there. He goes, hey, we're starting a church. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the way. It's about Jesus and grace. And then all of a sudden, this group come, came behind them called the, the Judaizers, and they were basically of the Jewish faith, but they were also Christian. And so they're telling everybody, hey, you've got to follow Jesus, but you also have to follow all these rules, all these 600 and some odd rules that we followed before you have to do that also. And so Paul's writing to the church in Galatia going, this is not what it's about. This is not what you should be doing. And almost getting kind of angry with them going, why are you so quickly leaving your faith? And so the first week in our series, we talked about how there's two different gospels. There's the one about relationship and there's one that's about rules and it's about relationship. And then the next week we talked about how it's so easy to go back and forth, even after you're a Christian, to go back to the rules, to go back to the way that you did it before. And then last week we talked about grace. And how grace allows what we ought to do to become what we want to do. It allows us to, to see who God truly is. And I really think this is, it's, it's about a relationship. And today, Paul's really, what he's going to do is he's going, it's not just a relationship like your friends. It's a relationship like you're in the same family. You're in the same family. There's an extra level of care. 
It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And I want you to understand this. God never intended to be your religion. He never did. God never intended to be your religion. He always wanted a relationship from the beginning with Adam and Eve. What did he want? He wanted a relationship. And so in Galatians 3.26, it says this way. It says, for all, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He said, you are all children of God. If you read it just about any other translation, it says, for you are all sons of God. And anytime you see sons, it's not meant to be not including the women. So if any of the women get mad about that, it's not. It's, it's supposed to be everyone. And if you get mad about that, there's a point where all the guys are basically called the bride of Christ. And so that kind of evens <laughs> things out. Um, so it says, for you are all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. He said, this is what it's about. You, you become children. You become a part of the family. And then later on in Galatians 4, he says it this way. He says, but when the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That's what you're going to see here. The difference between being a slave to the law and being a child. It says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. See, it's not, it's not just an idea. It's not just a belief. It's this idea that we become a part of God's family. Not just someone that's like, like pushed off to the side, but someone that can call him Abba. Someone that can call him Father. Someone that absolutely loves them. And you got to understand this. To the people of that time, this is so foreign. If, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this before. You've heard people call God Father. You've heard people say that God loves you. But to them, this is brand new. you got to understand, up until this point, the gods that they would worship did not love them. In fact, the gods that they would worship, they worshiped because they were afraid they were going to mess with them or be mean to them or go against them or punish them. This idea that God is love did not come around until our Christian version of God came in. It wasn't until John actually wrote that God is love that anybody ever said that God is love. But that's what he said. He goes, I am your father. I love you. And what, what Paul does here, he goes, I want you to understand the difference between what it's like to live as a slave to the law and what it's like to be a child of God. He says in there, he goes, a slave, it has a master. It has a master. And I think this is where we go sometimes. This is the idea that God is our master. God tells us what to do. We need to prove things. We need to do things to prove that he is ahead of us and that he lords over us. It's almost the idea of asceticism, which if you haven't heard of that before, asceticism is the idea that I need to humble myself through hurting myself in order to show God that I care that much. I mean, there's a church actually in South America where they will literally go on their knees the entire way to church on Sunday morning. It could be miles away and they will go on their knees and their blood trails going along. And the reason they do it is to show God, God, you are amazing. And it's this idea that the, I need to lower myself. I need to make myself feel puny in order for God to feel like something good. And now this sounds crazy, but how many times have we done this? How many times have we felt in trouble and so we do something to put ourselves in a low place? We punish ourselves, maybe it's not physically, but in some way we make ourselves feel like garbage so that we don't feel like we deserve God. See, a slave has a master, a child has a father. I mean, think about it this way. So you see the relationship Jesus even had with kids in the Bible. Like, you wouldn't expect it because of all of our pictures of Jesus. He's very 
I don't know, boring looking. <laughs> like he's always carrying a lamb for some reason. Like his hand is always slightly like this. Like he's got, like I need to screw in a light bulb. Like it's, it's, you don't know what's going on here. Like he's got, like you wouldn't expect it, but Jesus, like kids love Jesus so much. The disciples were like, hey, we got to figure out how to get rid of him. And, and Jesus was like, why do you hate kids? Basically is what he said to them. But it, Jesus was someone, the kids absolutely loved him. And so if Jesus is our picture of God, that's the idea of who God is. He's someone the kids would flock to. But many times we see ourselves as being afraid. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says this way. It says, you have, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. An easy way to tell if you're living in that slave to the rules mentality is, do you fear God? And I don't mean in the way that you hear pastors say we need to fear God. That idea is I realize how powerful God is, it's that kind of fear. But do you fear his punishment? Like, are, are you worried that at any moment God could bring down wrath upon you? If you do, you're looking at him the wrong way. Way. You're not looking at him as a father. And Abba, father there, is actually, it's like the most endearing way for them to say dad. It's, it's father, it's dad. It's literally what the little kids in the neighborhood would have called their dads that they absolutely love. He said, in that same name, we can call our own God, our own father. Because here's the truth, guys. Depending on the way you view someone, you can always tell the way someone views you by what they call you. Right, uh, what they call you, the name they call you, what, what, what they go after. I mean, most people call me Hal. Some people call me Pastor Hal. It's always kind of weird sometimes when I'm out in public and people are like, yeah, this is Pastor Hal. And they're like, hey, Pastor Hal. And I'm like, you can just call me Hal. Like, it's okay. <laughs> like, I remember one time I was teaching at a school and somebody and the guy went, okay, and next up we have to speak. We have Reverend Hal. And I'm like, oh, cool, my dad's here. <laughs> like, like, it was weird. I was like, that's, that's me, Reverend Hal. And then I was, it was weird though. But here's the weird part about it. Like immediately when they called me Reverend Howe, I felt like immediately I couldn't have a conversation with any of the students in the room because they saw me as something more. See, that's the problem is when we start to see this distance, we don't see God as someone we can talk to. We don't see God as someone that we can be honest with. We don't see God as someone that we could come to at any point in prayer and just go, God, this is what I'm dealing with. He said, the reason you should go to God in prayer and call him father is this idea that you get to go to him and say, this is someone that loves me, that cares about me, that I don't have to do anything for before I come and talk to. What do you, what terms do you use for God in prayer? I mean, what do you, what do you call him? Are you overly at the top? You're like, oh dear God. And you, you use all the names, Prince of Peace. Or like you say all those things and you're very formal or are you very just talking to someone like you would talk to your own father? See, the way you refer to someone, really, it shows the way you see them. We're supposed to start seeing God as a father, as a father. Now, here's the other side of it. A slave, a slave is an employee. And here's what I mean by that. You ever been to a place that had absolutely horrible customer service? Like it normally has someone 16 years old working there and they don't care at all about you. I remember we were on vacation and we went to go to this place to eat and we had reservations and uh, it was an hour before we got to eat and we would go up to the front desk and the girls just like, yeah, we're clearing your table. They were clearing our table for an hour. And you're just like, you just really don't care, don't you? Or you've ever gone to like, I, it's, it's always interesting going to like a mom and pop place, like a place that's family owned. You walk in and people talk to you. It almost kind of throws you off a little bit. Like, hey, how are you? I'm like, I just need to get this. Do we have to have a conversation? Like, I just, I, 
Like, that's the reason I love Walmart. Nobody talks to you there. Like, no one does. The other day, I actually needed to ask somebody a question, and the guy had earbuds in. I was like, you just don't care, do you? Like, that's awesome. That's great. But why? Because they're an employee. They clock out. They're like, who cares? I work at Walmart. Right? It's a very different idea than what God says we are. See, when we have a relationship with God, it says, as a child of God, we're an heir. We're part of, like, the family business. It's this idea that I don't work for God. I work with God. Like, I, I don't work for someone that's making me do something. I'm a part of a team. I'm a part of a family. See, we're all owners. We're all owners. I still remember my dad, the first, first job he got as a pastor, he was walking around the edge of the church with the lead pastor. And the lead pastor, they were walking along, and there was a piece of trash on the ground. The lead pastor went to pick it up, and my dad was like, whoa. He goes, isn't that for the maintenance guys? He goes, oh, no, no. He goes, I want you to understand, we're all owners here. He goes, the way this place looks all falls on us. He goes, if a chair is out of line, I expect you to put it in place. If a volunteer is not where they're supposed to be, I expect you to talk to them. If you see something that's wrong, I expect you to be a part of it. And he goes, here's the deal, we're all owners. And that's what I hope for even here at the exchange. Like I hope that when you see things, you see it as an owner. Like if you see a first time guest, you're like, man, I need to go talk to that person. Unless you're weird. And then find somebody else. <laughs> find somebody else that's not weird and go up and talk to them together. It'll be fine, it'll even out. Um, no, but it's like this idea that when you come in here, it's not just a place that you're a part of. It's not a place you just show up at, it's a place that you're an owner. See, that's what it's like working with God is God's not going, hey, I want you to do these things. You're my employee. You do what I say. He goes, I want you to be a part of something that I'm already doing. God doesn't want your signature on a piece of paper saying you'll do something. God wants your heart. God wants what's inside here. Romans 8, 17 says this way. It says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Now, it says there, it says, we share his glory. And one of the things you always hear is how much God wants to bless you. And depending on who you're listening to, it gets really big sometimes. Uh, there, there's some people out there, you've heard of probably people that are health and wealth, the idea that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, which is a great thing to believe unless you live in Haiti. And it's one of those things where God wants you to give you all these things. And the truth is, God wants to give us a lot of things, but they're not always health and wealth. There are a lot of different things. Sometimes God wants to give us an overflowing amount of self-control, which I want to give back. <laughs> or kindness, or whatever it is. And here's what God does. God gives you a whole bunch of something that he wants you to give to other people. So God may give you a lot of money and resources, but he expects you to bless others. God may give you kindness and love and joy so that you can bless other people with it. And so the idea is that God will continue to bless us as long as we continue to be a part of that blessing to other people. See, Paul wanted us to understand that we're part of this family business. We're a part of something that's much bigger. And when we're a part of that, we get special perks. And one of them is grace. And let me just, I just want to talk about this for a second. Because I know last week we talked about grace. And there's some in this room. And even growing up, I had trouble with this. The idea of grace. The idea that you absolutely have to do nothing to earn God's grace. And there's people like, well, then people will take advantage of it, or people will continue to do this. And some people hear, oh, God gives you unlimited grace. Well, I might as well go ahead and do things that earn that grace. And I hear people say that all the time. Now, here's the truth. God does give us grace, but out of that grace, there is something that's supposed to come through our hearts. And so people always say, well, is it the works that shows God that I love him? Is it the works that allow me to be saved, or is it the works that come afterwards? And let me just say this. I'll put it this way. 
because I get this question all the time, how do I know that I'm actually a Christian? Because there's some of you in here that have prayed the prayer like 15 times. You've gotten baptized a lot. You've gotten, God, I need to know that you're there. How do you know that God's become a part of your life? And here's what it is. It's a heart change. It's a heart change. If all of a sudden you start to feel a heart change in areas that you didn't have before, all of a sudden you feel like loving people you didn't love before. All of a sudden you feel like serving people you didn't serve before. All of a sudden you have more self-control. You have more joy. You have more these things. Then that's God in your life doing that. See, what God says is this. He goes, don't try to change all that on your own. Allow me to come into your life, and then I will change it. And so it's that relationship. God's like, okay, I will come in. I will help change your heart, and which will change you, which will allow you to do the things that I'm calling you to do. See, when we talk about doing these things, it's not like we're going into it going, oh, we have to do it. God's like, no, let me change your heart so that you want to do it. So if you're wondering, is God really there? Have I ever really trusted him? Has your heart changed? Has your heart changed? There's something that's different there. And it's something that only happens through God. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says it this way. It says, dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. He says, continue to work hard, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He says, work hard, but what did he say? He says, God is working in you. So if, if you're ever at a point where you don't want to do what God wants you to do, what you're not supposed to do is just do it because you have to. If you're ever at a point where you're like, man, I just don't feel love. I don't feel joy. I don't feel like caring for anyone. The first thing you do is not to try to do it on your own. The first thing you do is try to reconnect with God. Try to reconnect with God. It's, it's one of those things where you grow up in a place where you thought it was all about what you had to do. But God's going, no, no, I want to show you that I love you so much that it will actually pour out of you. See, a slave is somebody that's driven by, by duty. It's kind of like this. Some of you get to points in your life where you're like, I really need to fix my relationship with God. And I've heard people say this. I'm going to read the entire Bible in 90 days. And they tell me that. I'm like, why? Why? That's a lot. If you've ever been on one, like even doing the one-year Bible, many of you have started like the one-year thing. And it's like January 3rd. And you're like, nah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like, even listening to the one-year Bible takes, like, 30 minutes. Like, it's a long time. I've heard people say, oh, I'm going to do that. Or, you know what? I'm going to start praying for 30 minutes at a time. And you're sitting there, and you're, like, getting into minute five and minute six, and you're like, I'm out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> and we're like, we just have to keep going. We have to keep doing these things. Or you hear something about us doing that serve day and working with those kids, and you're like, well, gosh, i got to help the kids. That's fine. God wants me to help kids. I guess I help the kids and I'll smile. Maybe there'll be a good looking person there. You know, like, nobody's ever thought of that before. There's going to be one guy there that's going to hold a kid the entire time going, does she see me? Does she see me? Stop crying. But we do. And it's so funny when people go, I'm going to read the Bible in 90 days. I'm like, don't do that. Read the Bible until there's a point that you want to understand more. It may be a verse. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. No, don't, please, don't. Get to the point where you go, you're repeating yourself in the prayer, and then pray again later on. You're like, oh, man, I don't feel like serving. Then check your heart. Spend some time with God. Try to figure out what is it there that's causing you to feel like this is something you have to do. Because the difference is, if you're a child of God, you're driven by devotion. Driven by devotion. One of the stories in the Bible that's so that's famous for this is the story of Mary and Martha. See, Jesus was going to visit them. And Mary and Martha, Jesus is showing up. Mary and Martha had two very different ideas of what they were supposed to do. See, Mary's like, Jesus is at my house. I want to sit and I want to listen to everything he has to say. 
Martha goes, Jesus is at my house. I need to make the perfect meal. Some of you have moms like this. Like everything's going to be perfect. It's like, mom, it's fine. Jesus is not going to go home and tell his dad about what happened. Like it's like, I think my mom thought every kid was a spy and was going to go home and tell their parents what our house looked like. But so they go in, and so Mary's sitting, and she's listening to Jesus. Martha is in there cooking. Problem is, Martha was doing what she was doing out of the wrong spirit. So what is she doing? She's going, she's trying to cook this perfect meal. All she can focus on is Mary. So Mary's sitting in there, just listening to Jesus. I'm in here cooking, slaving away. There's not even air conditioning anymore. Like, she's mad. And so she goes, Jesus, she goes, what in the world? I'm out here cooking. What is Mary doing? And Jesus goes, hey, Mary's doing exactly what she should do. Mary's doing exactly what her heart told her to do. See, it's not that Martha was wrong for cooking a meal. It's that she was doing it in the wrong spirit. See, she was doing it because she felt like she had to. Jesus goes, whenever you feel that way, just come in and spend some time with me. So that's what she did. Martha went in and she spent some time with her, with him. She spent some time with Jesus, got to know Jesus, and her heart was made right. Galatians 4, 8 and 9 says this. It says, before you Gentiles knew God... You were slave to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? He's saying, guys, what is the point of ever going back to that idea? It's weak, it's useless, it only leads you to a place of guilt. So the question is, how do we get to know God? Here's the first thing, is we need to actually see God as a father. We need to see God as a father. When you think of God, what do you think of? Do you think of something that's so big that you can't even like, be in the same room as him? Or do you think of him as someone that absolutely loves you? Jesus wanted us to understand and see God as a father. He said it over and over again. He goes, this is the way you pray, our father, which art in heaven. He goes, that you, I want you to see God the same way I do. See, I believe this. I believe one of Satan's biggest plans was I'm going to mess up the relationship between kids and their father. Because when somebody goes to look at God and calls him father, all they can do is think about their own. And I've been there. I've talked to so many people that the idea of calling God father, it hurts. And some of you in here, your father was a either absent or awful or caused all kinds of pain. And whenever you hear God is your father, you can't help but put that on him. Some of you, your fathers were pretty good, but there's, there's sides of it. I mean, my dad was more of the rules side. I grew up in the very conservative side. And so many times I put that on God. And so many times what we have to do first is we have to heal from our parents, which is always a good thing to do. We need to heal from our parents. Everyone in here needs to heal from their parents. And you don't need to tell your parents you're healing from them, but you need to heal from your parents so that we can see God the way that we ought to. So that we can see God as a father that absolutely loves us. We need healing so that we can see God the way we should, so that we can understand that relationship there. And then after we see God as a father, we approach God through relationship, not through rules. We approach God not going, okay, this is what I have to do in order for you to love me. It's through relationship. I just sit down and I talk to you. I mean, every family had rules growing up, right? You all had things that you had to do a certain way. Like for, for us, if we wanted to spend the night over someone's house or we wanted to do something, what we weren't allowed to do is we weren't allowed to ask our parents in front of that kid or in front of those parents. Because if we did, it was automatic no. My dad would actually look at the kid and go, oh man, I don't think Hal likes you. My dad was the master of sarcasm. He goes, because if he did, he would have known he shouldn't have asked me in front of you. So next time, if he really wants to spend the night over your house, he's gonna ask me not in front of you. 
which was always a great thing to explain to the kid. But that, that was the way it was. We had rules. We had things that we had to do, and then we had rules for what we ought to do. If you raised your voice in my family, automatic no. Automatic no. Raise your voice. Oh, you just lost. But God, I wanted to serve the homeless. You just lost. You raised your voice. But then there was ways around it. I say that. There was ways around it for my sister. There was not a ways around it for me. My sister was the golden child. Like some of you in here, you, you, are, you, you know who you are. You're like the favorite. My dad finally got to a point where he admitted that she was the favorite, which was great for me. Um, but my sister, if she didn't get something she wanted, she had the ability to go sit in my dad's lap and go, Dad, can I please go do this? And he would just say yes. I tried that once. <laughs> we still don't talk about it. <laughs> but here's, here's the deal with God. Is God's not going, okay, you need to um, say my name this many times. You need to pray for 30 minutes ahead of time. You need to read this much of the Bible, then we can talk. Then we can have a relationship. God's going, no, at any point that you want to talk to me, at any point you want to have this time, you can just start it. It's a relationship. I'm your father. John 5, 39 to 40. This is Jesus speaking. This is so important. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me that you refuse to come to me to receive this life. He goes, why do you keep focusing on all the rules, trying to memorize all the scripture when I'm the one you should be focusing on? Because here's the truth, guys. The goal of reading the Bible is not to read the Bible. The goal of reading the Bible is to learn about God and to meet with God. The goal of prayer is not just to pray. The goal of prayer is to meet with God. The goal of serving and going out and doing good things is not just to work. It's to serve alongside God. Everything we do, the point of it is not just to do it so that we can have a relationship with God. It's to do it in a relationship with God. See, we read the Bible to understand more about God. We pray to talk to God. None of these things are precursors to a relationship. They are the relationship. So we got to approach God through a relationship, not through rules. And the last thing is we have to actually give God our entire heart. And I think this is the point that we, we struggle with. This is the point where we, we step back from. Because we, you can't fall in love with God unless you go all the way. You can't fall in love with God if you've got an escape plan. I mean, it, it's, it's funny to me today, one of the biggest reasons I feel like marriages fail sometimes is because everyone already has an escape plan. Like, just in case it doesn't work. Like, there's all these separate things. I actually heard the other day of a couple that did separate honeymoon. I'm like, I don't know why y'all are getting married. That's weird. But I, I hear a lot of couples, yeah, we keep separate bank accounts. Why do you keep separate bank accounts? Well, in case we get divorced. No, that's setting yourself up. I hear that all the time. Well, I need to make sure of this. Or, you know, I need to make sure I keep... You know, an eye on my ex-girlfriend that I keep as the backup or ex-boyfriend that I keep there as a friend. But if something goes wrong, then he'll be there. No girl's ever done that. Sorry. But let me say this, and you guys know it, in relationships, it's the same in marriage. Unless you're all in, it doesn't work. You can't go, God, I absolutely love you, but then don't include him in your life. You can't go, God, I absolutely love you. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to change my heart, but I'm not going to give you this part. See, the only way it works with God is when we go all in. When we go, okay, God, I'm giving me all of you. I'm giving me all of giving you all of me for all of you. I, I want this to be a part of it. I want to be in the family. You can't have one step in the family and one step out. It's the idea you are in the family or you're not. I think some of the things that we've got to do many times is our prayer should be, God, what is the part of my life that I'm not giving to you right now? 
What, what is it that is keeping me from this, from this relationship? What is it right now that's blocking me from truly knowing who you are? God, please show it to me so that I can separate from it. Because God wants you so badly to see him as this perfect father. And this week, my challenge to you is this, is when you approach God, don't do it as someone that is so high above you that you can't even look at. Do it as someone like a father, a perfect father that's sitting in the room with you. Talk to him like you would a friend. Talk to him like you would anyone else that you absolutely love and you know they love you too. And as you do that, as you see your heart change, you'll see what God can do through that. Guys, it's all about the way that you see God. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you want a relationship with us. God, I thank you that you care about us this much. God, I pray that we would search our hearts for the areas that we're not, we're not falling in love with you with. God, the areas that we're just kind of holding on to just in case you don't give us what we want. God, I pray that, uh, I pray for everyone in here with all of the family issues. The issues that cause us to look at you the wrong way. The issues that cause us to put the, the, the attributes of our failed father or failed mother on you. God, I pray that you would allow us and help us to heal from that. God, I pray that we would actually be able to see you as a heavenly, godly father. Perfect in love and care. And that you want us to succeed. You want us to find that love. You want us to have hearts that are so overflowing that people around us are changed. God, we thank you that we get a book to be a part of that. And we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.